Jewish faith. Let's start with that. So as you may have well heard, that in Judaism, it's not all about faith. We believe that there's a lot more than faith. There are 613 commandments. While there may be other religions that say, if you believe, that's enough. In Judaism, we don't believe that. In Judaism, believing is not enough. You need to actually do, and there's a lot that needs to be done. However, that said, there is a commandment to believe in God, and to believe in God's unity. I'm soon going to explain what that is. And a commandment not to believe in idol worship. So we do have commandments. We do have commandments that involve Jewish faith. We do, so it definitely, we are required to believe. And we do, be, be, we do believe that believing is important. So while believing is not everything, there's more than faith, but there's 613 commandments, but believing is important. Not only is believing in Judaism important, it is in many ways fundamental. In other words, while one can in theory follow the commands without believing in it, you're essentially missing the whole foundation if you don't believe in what you're doing. So believing in Judaism... Is there an extra one? I gave out my last yeah, one. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. So the believing is um, fundamental to Jewish faith to the point that the first of the Ten Commandments is the commandment to believe in God. Because without that, writes Maimonides, there are no other commandments. You cannot believe without, you cannot, you cannot follow the rest of the commandments without believing in God. You technically can, but it of course has very little meaning if you don't believe in God. You might think that being honoring your parents is a wonderful thing to do, or even keeping Shabbat is a wonderful thing to do, even if you're an atheist, but it clearly doesn't have the same meaning. So much so that one of our prophets, Chavakuk, writes, Tzadik be'emunato yichye. A righteous one, a righteous person, lives on faith. And the Talmud says that, the Talmud goes through different um, biblical figures that kind of organize the commandments into a handful of very important ones. And the Talmud says, Bo Chavakuk midon al-achas. Chavakuk limited faith, limited Judaism down to a single commandment. Believing in God. Not that you can just believe in God and get away with everything else. But without that fundamental base of belief in God, everything else is of no meaning. So definitely, while belief is not all that there is in Judaism, belief is very fundamental and very important in Judaism, which is why we need to discuss it, why we need to be aware of it. So the question then is, what do we Jews believe? So the Torah goes through, mentions the belief in God as a commandment, um, but mentions God being one, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Echad, we're going to soon explain what that means, God is one, mentions prophecy, mentions the giving of the Torah at Sinai. The Torah mentions many different things. But the Torah does not officially organize the beliefs as to one, two, three, what the beliefs actually are. And indeed, while our beliefs were there as part of Judaism, 
It wasn't really organized as to what our beliefs were until quite a bit later, until quite some time later. Um, it wasn't until the 1000s, 1100s, that Jewish scholars said, well, what exactly do we believe? If we had to list the basic Jewish beliefs, what exactly do we believe? And so a number of scholars um, over the years put together different beliefs now, a kind of list of what we actually believe. Now, when you're organizing something, depending on who it is, everyone organizes things differently. And as we're going to see, there's going to be a lot of overlap in the beliefs. So, um, one scholar, Rav Yosef Albo, said there's really only three. There's three Jewish beliefs. Why? He takes the same beliefs and he organizes, structures them into three. You could structure them into more than three. There's a lot of different ways you could structure or organize the beliefs. Now, the, um, the, the most commonly used structure of, of beliefs comes from Maimonides or the Rambam. We did a class about a year ago about, on Maimonides. Maimonides, the Rambam, who lived in the, in the 1200s, was one of the greatest <coughs> Jewish thinkers. And more than a thinker, Maimonides was an organizer. He was a codifier. He took all of Jewish law, which was extremely disparate and complex and written in many different places, and organized it based on topic in his famous work, the Mishneh Torah, his biggest work, um, organized all the Jewish law. Um, but then among the many things that he organized and he structured, he actually organized or wrote out the 13, what he listed as 13 principles of Jewish faith. Now, these 13 principles is the way Maimonides structured it. Many other scholars debated. Maybe some of these should really be one. Maybe some of these could be split up. Maybe some of these are not really that much that central. There was some debate over these. But nevertheless, Maimonides' structure of Jewish belief has become the standard. So much so that... Um, Many prayer books will include the 13 principles of faith, as Maimonides puts them out in, um, at the end of our prayers. And we also have a very famous poem that you may have heard before, Yigdal Elokim Chai, which is a poem that goes through the 13 principles of Jewish faith. Now, there were, I'll take you in a moment. Now, there were, <coughs> me, there were um, scholars who were somewhat concerned about the very concept of creating principles of Jewish faith. Why? Because the Talmud says explicitly that one, a Jew is expected to believe that every word of the Torah is true. If you believe that every word in the Torah is true, there's no principles. Everything is equally important. In fact, the Talmud gives the example, there is a verse in the Torah telling us about Esau, Jacob's brother's family. The Torah gives us a little bit of family history for Jacob. And it tells us a little bit about Achos Lotan Timna, that there was a prince um, who lived in Seir, his name was Lotan, he had a sister called Timna. doesn't sound very important. The Talmud says, doesn't matter if you think it's important or not. It's written in the Torah. If the Torah is missing that word, your Torah would not be kosher. You would not be able to read from it. Every word in the Torah matters. So who are we to choose what is important and what is not important. If someone says that one commandment doesn't apply, one commandment I don't believe in, or if someone says one teaching of the Torah I don't believe in, then that's already a heresy. So who are we to choose 
um, what are the 13 principles of faith or limit them to specific principles. So the explanation generally given, and this, is, um, this um, explanation is usually associated with Reb Chaim Brisk, the uh, rabbi in Brisk about 100 years ago, uh, points that there's a very important difference. The 13 principles of faith, you need to know each and every one. If you are not aware of one of them, you are missing a big part of Judaism. Every other rule and commandment in Torah, who knows all Torah? Torah is huge. It's very, very big. Nobody knows, not nobody, but most people don't know the whole thing with every single detail. If you don't know the whole thing, are you a heretic? No, you just didn't know. You didn't get around to learning it yet. You're working on it. In the Mishnah in Perkei Avot, in Ethics of Our Fathers, says, Lo alecha ligmar. It's not up to you to finish it, but that doesn't give you the excuse to stop. So you probably will never finish studying everything that Judaism has to teach, because it's huge. Um, but you've got to keep studying. You've got to keep working on it. And so if you don't know every detail in Judaism, it's okay. That doesn't make you a heretic. You don't know? You were unaware of it. But the principles of faith are things that we all have to know and be aware of. If you're not aware of it, then um, you're missing a basic principle of Jewish belief. You're missing a basic principle of Judaism. Yes, Stephen? Okay. Judaism is based on action. Many years ago, it was a big thing at the time, a very big thing, this idea of the codes, the Bible codes prove that God exists. The follow question to that is, okay, you believe God exists, why should you do any of the mitzvah? Well, I'm going to get to... The whole point of being belief-centric, which is more a Christian idea of dogma, and in fact, it's one of the reasons that Maimonides uh, and controversially came up with this, because they were competing ideologies, and he wanted to create an establishment, uh, as it were, and he's a brilliant guy, and he did what he did. And there were, he had distractors, which were very big people as well, as you articulated. So the point I'm getting at is you can be Jewish in your heart and do nothing as far as the mitzvahs. There's a story about somebody who said, I don't even believe in God. Okay, so let me, let me, so firstly, um, I don't know if Maimonides wrote the 13 principles of faith in response to other religions. Um, It may be a theory, but I don't think there's a shred of evidence for it. that Maimonides wrote 13 principles because he wanted us to know what we're supposed to believe. Um, that's what he wrote. So we, there's no reason why we shouldn't take him at, at his word. Um, so I explained earlier, and I, maybe I should make this clearer again, um, without bringing up other religions, um, <laughs> clearly faith, while other religions may only require faith and nothing else, and I don't know if there's still religions that believe in that or not. Other religions may require only faith and nothing else. Clearly, in Judaism, we have 613 commandments. And fulfilling one commandment and not fulfilling the other 612, or whichever ones are relevant to you, um, is not good enough. You're expected to follow. It's a covenant with God, a deal with God, that you're going to follow all of his commandments, most of which are actionable commandments, involve action. However, that said, as I mentioned, faith or belief is included in three of the commandments, are about belief, and they are commandments, and therefore part of our covenant with God. And as Maimonides puts it, and many other Jewish scholars put it, and as the prophet Chavakuk put it, without the basic beliefs, even if you go through the motions, and we do believe that someone who goes through the motions of following a commandment without the belief still gets credit 
for the commandment. But you go through the motions, it clearly has no meaning. It has no meaning to the individual doing it if you don't believe in the reason why you're doing it. So, firstly, these beliefs, while it's not all there is in Judaism, there is much, much more in Judaism. These beliefs are also important. They're commandments as well. And secondly, these beliefs stand as the basis of all commandments. Without these beliefs, the meaning or value behind the commandments falls away. So with that, unless there's any further questions before we go on to the beliefs. Okay. The beliefs themselves are subject to interpretation and therefore you end up with people who are established pious people who in their time disagree. It's not disagree, but have their own version of that belief that would be... Okay, what happens if somebody disagrees with one of these principles? Excellent question. Um, maybe we'll get, deal with it later if we have time, um, but it's really a discussion for another time. Okay. 13, so what are these 13 principles of Jewish faith? And I should make it clear that while there are generally differences as to how to structure and organize these principles, generally all it, there's a consensus as to what our beliefs are. They're all based on our Torah. So the beliefs as written by Maimonides writes them in each one in detail. However, there was this prayer um, that was written, the I believe or anima amin in Hebrew prayer, that many communities recite at the end of their daily prayers. And it's um, very beautifully phrased, each, um, each of the principles. So I decided to over here put a translation of the, not of Maimonides' original principles, but of the anima amin. So here they are. First with belief number one. I believe with complete faith, and they're all going to start with those words, anima amin be'emuna shlema, I believe with complete faith, and this is a statement that a person should make daily. That the creator, blessed be his name, is creator and guide of all created beings, and that he alone made, does make, and will make all things. So the number one belief in Judaism is we believe in a creator. We believe in God who created the entire universe. So we have to believe in God. And we believe in God as the absolute creator, the creator that created everything. And, of course, if you don't believe in God, then even the rest of the 13 principles, as we'll see, fall away. Everything falls away. So... And definitely God's commandments. So the principle number one is you've got to believe in God, God as the creator of our universe and of us and of every one of us. Belief number two. I believe with complete faith that the creator, blessed be his name, is one and alone, that there is no oneness in any way like him and that he alone is our God. Excuse me, was, is, and will be. And as we're going to see, the next, these three, two, three, and four, um, really all overlap um, because they all are different parts, what we call Achdut Hashem, or literally unity of God, or monotheism. The belief of a specific, not just that there is a God creator, but a specific type of God. So I'm going to read three and four, and then we're going to look at two, three, and four together. I believe with complete faith that the creator, blessed be his name, is incorporeal. He is free of all anthropomorphic properties 
and that he has no likeness at all. Nothing, no statues can be made or no pictures can be made that look like God. Nothing looks like God. Belief number four. I believe with complete faith that the creator, blessed be his name, is the first and the last. So these three beliefs, as I said, are really all part of our belief of achtut Hashem. Literally, unity of God, monotheism. Believing in a, <coughs> excuse me, in a mono or a singular God. Not just a single God, but a, single, a singular God. What is this belief? So it's not just that we believe that there happens to be one God and not two gods. But it's much more than that. As we said in number two, there is no oneness in any way like him. What does that mean? So I think I've touched on this in previous classes, but it's always important to repeat. Um, The way I like to put it is um, we have a question um, of called first cause. It's an old philosophical question um, that Judaism actually came to resolve. Thank you. Um, It's an old philosophical question. What is the first cause of everything? How did I get here? From my parents, right? They made me. How did they get here? Their parents, right? They made them. How did everything else get here? How did the table get here? Something, someone made it. Where did it come from? Where did the wood come from? Someone planted it. Where did that tree come from? It came from a different tree. Where did that come from? It came from a different tree, right? Where the plastic came from oil in the ground. Where did oil in the ground come from? Dinosaurs, okay. Um, where did dinosaurs come from? So you keep going back into this story. Where did it come from? Where did it come from? Where did it come from? And we have always, everything needs a cause, right? Everything that exists needs a cause. Something brought it here. Who brought it here? Something else. Who brought that here? Something else. And in theory, you can go back indefinitely. So where does it all start? Where is the starting point? Where does it begin? So that's the first cause quandary. So God is our answer to the first cause problem. God, then, is the creator of everything. God is the first cause. Now, who then made God? Who made God? God always existed. God always was and always will be, as we said in um, number two at the end, was, is, and will be. And in number four, we said he is the first and the last. What do we mean by that? God exists in a very different way than we exist. Each of us exists, and everything you see around you exists because it happens to be here. Something put it here. Had it not been placed here, had some other cause not made it, it would not be here. It just happens to be here. We could picture reality without it. It's hard to picture reality without me, but it's possible, right? (laughs) For reality to exist without me and without everyone here and without, it's possible. In theory, we didn't have to be here. We all happen to be here. The first cause, the first cause exists not because anyone made it exist, Not because anyone placed it there. The first cause exists because it has to be there. Because it does exist. Just because it is. And in that way, God's name, which we don't pronounce, Havaya, means he who is. God just is. The absolute being that just is. Now, 
This God that just is, always was and always will be, the ultimate existence, doesn't happen to be here, wasn't put here by anyone, always was and always will be. This God can have no parts or no properties. Every one of us are made of cells, are made up of lots of different parts. Everything in this world is made up of all sorts of different molecules, made up of all sorts of different things. Who put it together? Well, whoever made it put it together, right? Whoever put it in place put it together. The absolute existence, if it would have parts, who put those parts there? So God can't possibly have parts. God has no parts. God is not made up of anything. What then is God? An absolute existence. Well, what does an absolute existence look like? You can't see it because you only see something that reflects light, right? If it doesn't have any parts to reflect light, there's nothing to see. You can't hear it. It doesn't create, it doesn't generate sound waves. God could create things. But God himself, you can't hear, you can't see, you can't touch. There's got to be something there to touch, right? Something, um, some physical thing to touch. God has no form whatsoever. No form, no properties, no details. God is the absolute infinite existence. And so knowing that, we know that God's oneness, that there is no oneness in any way like him, in other words, everything that exists in our world has made up of parts, made up of detail, made up of property. God is not made up of any detail, not made up of any property. God has no, um, is incorporeal, has no anthropomorphic properties, has no, there's no way to describe God whatsoever because you can only describe something that has detail or property, so God cannot be described. God always was, he's first, and always will be, God is last. So that is those three beliefs um, in God being one, God being incorporeal, and God being always eternal, those three beliefs are really part of the same belief that God is an absolute existence. Yes? Uh, we, but the people at Mount Sinai heard God's voice. They heard him. Moses heard him. Did he so what did we hear? That's a very good question. I'm going to address that in just a moment. But let me first deal with a different question that this all raises. So... If you actually open the Torah and you read the Torah, we know that man was made in the image of God. Right? Man was made, God has no image. How is man made in the image of God? Not only that, we describe the hand of God, God's strong hand. He took us out of Egypt with his strong hand, the finger of God. God saw, God's eyes, God spoke, God, um, we have all sorts of different, God gets angry. We have all sorts of different descriptions of God in our Torah that imply God has a physical body. God looks like people. Imply that God um, has reactions like us humans do. So it is clear, and it has always been clear in Judaism, that all of those descriptions in the Torah were not meant to be taken at face value. They are rather made, our Hebrew term is l'shakech es ha'ozen, to help our ears, um, to help our ears um, smooth over it or be able to understand it. In other words, we describe God using humanistic terms because we have no other way to do it. 
We can only describe God from our own frame of reference. But we know that it's not really true. We know when we speak of God's hand, we mean the way God impacted this world. God doesn't really have a hand. When we speak of man being created in the image of God, it doesn't mean that we are physically in God's image in any way. It rather means that we in some way represent God, either because we have we are partners in creation because we can manipulate this world, because we have free choice. Um, we have a God-like um, part of us. But it doesn't mean that we in any way actually look like God. We speak of, when we say God spoke, God get, got angry, God, it doesn't mean that God actually reacted, God saw. God doesn't react in any of these ways. It is rather speaking about God in humanistic terminology. Uh, but it, we believe, and it's very clear in the Torah itself, that God has no form, no image, no way that he, God could be described. We cannot hear God or see God. Why does God. he use the word image then? made in his image. Why did he use the word image? In order for us to be able to better relate to it, to better understand it. If it would say a highly sophisticated philosophical terminology, it'd be hard for us regular people to relate to it. God wants the Torah to be available to all, so he made it very simple. But we know that doesn't mean to be taken at face value, and we've always known that. Yes, Elise? So it also says God rested. God rested, another anthropomorphic example. Right. So that's not a reaction, that's not, you know, like anger or something, that's Again, God doesn't rest. Any human description doesn't apply, cannot truly be applied to God. The Torah says God rested. It means that in the same way it's God was not creating on the seventh day, from a human perspective we would call that rest. But clearly God didn't rest. Okay, yes? Did anybody else hear God besides Moses? All of us at Sinai. All of our ancestors. Outside of that. Outside, we're going to get to that. We do believe in prophets. We have a whole list of prophets. We actually have 48 prophets that we know by name throughout our scripture. And that's going to be the next one. So, sorry, let me get to it. One more. Number five. So now, believing in this absolute God, believing in this absolute God that created everything, we also believe, now this should be, by, of course, by extension, if there's an absolute infinite God, there is only one. There cannot be possibly two. The one, what separates one from two is... The differences between them, right? If one and two are exactly the same, then there's only one. So, our fifth belief is, I believe with complete faith that the Creator, blessed be His name, is the only one to whom it is proper to pray, and it is inappropriate to pray to anyone else. So, this is another belief in God. We Jews believe that every single one of us, every single person, has a direct route to God. We can talk to God directly, and God responds to us directly. There are no intermediaries whatsoever. There is no people or other gods, kind of mini-gods, that God created to control us more directly. There are other religions um, there are other religions that believe in an absolute infinite God like we do. Many religions do. Um, but they believe that there's some form of intermediary. In other words, some other God was created 
to be kind of the go-between us and God, and we pray to this other God, and that other God has some control, we believe that we all have a direct relationship with God. There is no other independent power in this world outside of God. God is the only one to pray to, and God responds to us directly. There are no other ones. We believe there are no other ones. I'm saying just pray to me. There are no other ones. I am doing a class in a couple weeks um, on April 28th about whether Jews believe in Satan. We'll talk about it then. Yeah. So the first five are essentially all in the Ikram of Yosef Abu says these are really just one belief in God. It includes belief in an absolute infinite God, belief in a God that's one, that's with an. Uh, that singular belief in a um, God that has no, that's incorporeal and has no properties whatsoever, that is eternal, the <laughs> belief that God directly controls and connects to our world and there's no intermediaries, all that is part of the umbrella belief in God. That's part one of Judaism. You don't believe in God or you don't believe in any of these... The, in infinity of God, the um, absoluteness of God, your sense of your understanding of God is problematic. That's the Jewish belief in God. Does, yes. me, Does that mean that, um, like, if there we believe one God, that we are all like brothers and sisters? We are all uh, not exactly equal, but we all have like one Father, one one God. We all have a direct relationship with God. Are we all equal? I'm going to do a class in a few months about equality. But when you go to other gods, then that changes the relationship. Then we're not all that equal. Okay. Is that right? Possibly. Possibly. Okay. So let's get to number six. So number six is I believe with complete faith that all the words of the prophets are true. And perhaps we could rephrase this. We believe that God communicates with people. If you don't believe that God communicates with people, then there is no religion. You cannot have a religion unless you believe that God somehow communicated with people. If we don't believe that God communicated with our people, then there is no Judaism. If God didn't tell us what we're supposed to do as part of our covenant with him, if God never communicated with us, there would be no Judaism. So we need to believe that God communicates with people. Now, how did God communicate with people? How does God communicate with people? Sandy asked this earlier, do, does God speak to us? Do we hear words? So we did a class some time ago about prophecy and the Jewish belief in prophecy. But let me just go over it very, very briefly. Um, when a prophet hears a prophecy, they don't actually hear words in their ear. It is rather an experience. In other words, they, it is a feeling. They feel God is giving them a specific message. How do they know that it is God? So when a prophet gets prophecy, um, we are told the prophet is absolutely certain that it is God and not just their own 
kind of mind speaking to them. Now, we brought this up, and this is a big issue. Um, so there are a lot of people that are absolutely certain that God is speaking to them, at least they say so, and there's no reason to doubt them. But they may still be a little crazy in their minds, have a little problem in their minds, and that gets them to think that they're hearing voices or think that God is speaking to them in a way that is simply incorrect. How do we know whether such a prophet is true? And how does that prophet themselves know, that individual know? Are they really getting prophecy from God or not? See, here's a basic rule which is really, really, really important. Um, Maimonides, in a very famous letter, Igeret um, Teman, a letter to Yemen, there was this fellow in Yemen who declared himself the Messiah and wanted everyone to follow him. And we've had every Jewish community in history has had its Messiah. I think it's true for Christian communities too. And they're still all over all sorts of people um, that show up and claim to be the Messiah. They're usually a little off. Right? So, how do you know? Maybe they are. How do you know they're not? Well, maybe they're still coming, but they're on their way. Maybe, how do you know they're not the Messiah? <laughs> how do you know they're not a prophet? Someone says, there, how do you know they're not a prophet? So we have a certain test that we have to do for prophets. The Torah gives us a certain test that we have to do for prophets. But here's rule number, and we have to, have to be able to predict the future accurately. There's a, lot, there's a whole system that we do to test prophets to know if they're accurate. But for someone to be a prophet, for God to speak to someone, God does not speak to every single, every regular person down the street. They have to firstly be a very pious individual. They have to be an individual who is very careful about following all of God's commands. Secondly, they have to be a Torah scholar. In Judaism, scholarship is always, is always a precondition for saintliness. It always goes with saint, generally goes with saintliness. They need to be a great Torah scholar, both in, the, um, in the, what's called the revealed part of Torah or the non-mystical part, as well as the mystical, mystical part of Torah. They have to be a great Torah scholar. On top of that... On top of that, they have to be a recognized Jewish leader. If they're not a recognized Jewish leader, ignore them. Don't worry about it. If someone shows up out of nowhere claiming to be the Messiah, kick him out. Don't kick him out, let him in, be nice to him, but don't, don't pay any attention to him. For that matter, if someone thinks that God is talking to them, tell them, if you are not already a tzaddik, a saintly recognized saintly individual and a recognized Torah scholar with many students and a great Jewish leader... We don't, we don't believe God speak, spoke to you. It's probably something going on in your head. So, uh, but we do believe God communicates with people and um, in theory can communicate with people today, although we have, no, um, re- we have no record of prophecy since the beginning of the Second Temple about 2,300 years ago. That doesn't mean God cannot speak to people today. God hasn't, so we'd be a little careful. And um, again, it would have to be someone who is not just a random individual out of nowhere. But we do believe God communicates with us. Without that belief, we would not have Judaism. Let's see number seven, because we're running out of time. I believe with complete faith that the prophecy of Moses, our teacher, peace unto him, was true, and that he was the father of all of the prophets, both of those who preceded and those who followed him. This is a very, very important belief. We believe that first and foremost, the Torah as Moses gave it to us is true. Why is this important? 
If a prophet comes today and claims to be a prophet, the only reason we would believe them is because Moses told us that there's such a thing as prophecy. The only reason we believe other prophets is because Moses told us so. So if this prophet in any way contradicts Moses or in any way does something that Moses says, if they do that, they are not a real prophet, such as changing rules of the Torah. Moses, we're going to soon see, said the rules of the Torah are forever and are never going to change. So if any prophet ever comes and tells us that the Torah in some way has been changed or even one rule has been changed, God doesn't like this anymore. God wants that. Or you don't have to keep this commandment anymore. If they ever tell us that, ignore them. doesn't matter how many miracles they make. We only believe in prophets because we believe in Moses. And we only believe in prophets as an extension of Moses because Moses said to believe in them. So in reality, we only believe in a single prophet in Moses and then any a prophet that Moses would have approved of. Now, why do we believe in Moses? We don't believe in any other prophets unless Moses would have approved of them. Why do we believe in Moses? Why should we trust that Moses got it all right? Maybe Moses made it up. So indeed we wouldn't. We're skeptical people, right? We should, why should we? Moses said so. Right? Moses said so. Very good. The reason why we believe in Moses is because Moses brought us to Sinai. And God actually told Moses, when, Moses first comes, when God first comes to Moses, says, I want you to go to, the, um, to Egypt, and I want you to tell them God appeared to you and said that you're going to take the people out of Egypt. Moses says, they're not going to believe me. These are Jews. Come on. They're not going to believe you. They're skeptics. So God says, you know, I'll give you some miracles you could show them for the time being. But they're still not going to believe you. Here's what we're going to do. Moses is standing with God at Mount Sinai, right, with the, the burning bush. He says, here's what we're going to do. You bring them out of Egypt. Bring them over here. I'll have a word with them. And then they'll believe you. So that's exactly what happened. Moses took us out of Egypt, brought us to Sinai, and God spoke to our entire people. Now, was it actual sounds? No, it was not sounds. Um, but we all had a revelation. In other words, we were certain that God had communicated with us. All million, one and a half million of us um, were all certain that God had communicated with us, with our ancestors. And having known that God spoke to us, God wanted to give us all 613. We said, we can't take it anymore. We've had enough. Moses, you get the rest. We trust you now. We trust Moses. We only now trust other people that Moses tells us to trust. Otherwise, don't trust him. Moses says, trust a prophet that can perform certain signs. And as we said, is a saint and scholar and leader. Trust him. But if they ever tell you to change any part of Judaism, forget it. Don't trust them. We only trust them because of Moses. We trust Moses because God told us to directly. God told us directly. God spoke to us directly. It's the only reason we trust Moses. And, I've been, and uh, it's important to note the reason why we believe Judaism is true today, the reason why we believe in Judaism is because God spoke to our ancestors. There is no other religion in the world that claims that the beginning of their religion was, every other religion claims that their, their religion began with a revelation to one people, to one person, to a handful of people. There is no other belief system in the world where it began with God speaking to one and a half million people. Every single Jew that was alive at the time all stood at Sinai. This is our ancestors, this is our grandparents. It's something that we remember. We have a collective memory as a people of this event that took place a while ago, over 3,000 years ago, but we still remember it today. Nobody else, no other religion even made such a claim. Even religions that were born out of our religion, 
Um, they didn't make such claims, even though they knew about our claim. Who would ever believe that? If I would tell you, all your, <coughs> God spoke to all your grandparents, who would ever believe such a thing? How come I never heard about it? So this, we're the only religion that has such a claim, and that is why we believe Judaism to be true. We believe Moses is true, and then any prophet that Moses would have approved of, we believe is true as well. Number eight. So I'm running a little over time, but these are really important. We don't want to miss any. <coughs> Excuse me. Number eight. I believe with complete faith that the whole Torah which we now possess was given to Moshe, our teacher, peace unto him. We trust our grandparents that they got it right. Remember, we've been passing on Torah for over 3,000 years. We trust them that they got it right. Because if they corrupted it at some point, then the whole Judaism falls away. How do you know what they got wrong? So we trust them that they got it right. Now, how do we know that they got it right? Now, how do we know that they got it right? So we have two answers to that question, in very in brief. I'm going through each one briefly. Each one, as you can see, could be its own class. Two answers to that question. Firstly, we Jews have kept the Torah continuously for 3,300 years. When we spoke about our history a few weeks ago, I pointed out that we have a history going back 3,300 years. We know the Jews in every single generation. We know the books that were written in every single generation. We know who the leaders were in every time. We know events that happened to our people. We have a very, very detailed, documented history for 3,300 years. We could talk, look, at, look at any century, any decade. We know who the leaders were where at that time we know the Jews were keeping the Torah. So we have consistently kept the Torah. If something is only, if only one person is doing it, a handful of people are doing it, it gets corrupted. When an entire nation is doing something, and of course we believe in it, and we believe in its value, and we're careful to get it accurate, and we've been doing it consistently without a break, so we can be certain that it hasn't changed. That's one. Secondly, that's one reason why we believe it's true. Secondly, God gave us the Torah. It's our covenant with him. We believe God's in control, ultimately. God's in control of everything. If God would give us a covenant and then allow us to corrupt it, then we would have messed up his covenant. Then he's stuck. What's he going to do now? He has no more covenant. Covenant's not working anymore. So we trust that God who would have given us the covenant would have been careful to ensure that the covenant doesn't get corrupted. And God's in control. Let's move on to number nine. I believe with complete faith that this Torah will not be changed and that there is no other Torah given by the Creator. Blessed be His name. So this is very important. Judaism never changes. The basic, now Judaism evolves, and we did a course over the summer explaining how Judaism evolves. It evolves because we have to apply rules to new situations, but the fundamentals of Judaism and the rules of Judaism never change. They never change. And not only do we not have the right to change God's instructions, God says, I will never change it. I, God has guaranteed us what he gave to us then. He is never again going to change. Why not? Because if there was a possibility of it being changed, then we'd have people throughout history claiming that it was changed. And indeed we did. Every time someone came and showed up and said, God changed his Torah, we say, sorry, we know that God's Torah doesn't change. 
So who knows who could have come up over history? And we know, of course, now they were all wrong because God's Torah doesn't change. But had God allowed the Torah to change, had he not made that rule, it would have gotten all corrupted over history with all sorts of people that were charismatic and they somehow would have convinced us that Torah changed. We know Torah doesn't change. Even if they're a prophet and a leader and they've able, been able to make miracles, if they say the Torah changes, don't trust it. Don't believe it. The Torah will never change. And for that matter, not only the Torah doesn't change, our people will never change. This is mentioned in the Torah itself and again and again throughout Scripture. God will never reject his people. So there are other religions that believe in what's called replacement theory, that God somehow rejected his people. It is clear throughout the Torah, and even in places where it says that God will punish us and send us into exile and do all sorts of horrible things to us, it's clear that God will never, ever reject his people. But God's people, God's Torah, will never, ever change. So those are all beliefs in God's Torah, which can all really be um, number six to nine. God communicates with us. Moses is true. The Torah that he gave us is true. It remains accurate, and um, it will never change. Number 10. <coughs> Excuse me. I believe with complete faith that the Creator, blessed be his name, knows all deeds and thoughts of human beings, as it is said, as in Psalms, it is he who fashions the hearts of all of them, he, he, he who perceives all their actions. We believe God knows what we are doing. Because if God didn't know what we are doing, we could do whatever we want. Right? If God was unaware of what we're doing, or for that matter, even if God was unaware of our thoughts, we could say, God, it was an accident. I didn't mean it. If God is unaware of our thoughts or our actions, then we could do whatever we want. So we believe, no, you can't do what you want. God has given you very specific instructions in our Torah and Judaism of what you're supposed to be doing and what you're supposed to not be doing. So, and you have to follow those rules and he's watching you to see what you're doing. He's aware of what you're doing. If you don't believe that God knows what's going on, there's no religion, it all falls away. You've got to believe God knows what's going on. Next, number 11. I believe with complete faith that the Creator, blessed be His name, rewards those who observe His commandments, punish those who transgress His commandments. So we believe in the concept of reward and punishment. There is payback. Not only does God know what's going on and care about, God, know, care about what's going on, God is going to do something about it. Sometimes that reward and punishment, or often, is found in this world. In other words, God will often punish people for bad they have done in this world and reward people for good they have done in this world. Not always. One of the big issues in Judaism, and we have a lot of books written on it in all religions, is um, why bad, things, bad people suffer, and why, sorry, why good people suffer, and why bad people have it well. So not always, but generally we believe that that's not so. Generally, much of the time, we do see direct, even in this world, we see direct response to our actions. Good actions see good response, bad actions see bad response. But we definitely believe in the world to come, in an afterlife. We spoke about that a few weeks ago. And um, we definitely believe in a world to come. And in that world to come, we believe that, we spoke about the end of times a few weeks ago, um, we definitely believe that God will punish those who transgress his commandments and reward those who observe his commandments. So yes, there is payback. And of course, while religion can still in theory exist without reward and punishment, but it has little meaning if we don't have, if God isn't responding to everything we do. Number 12. 
I believe with complete faith in the coming of Moshiach, and although he may tarry, nevertheless, I await, I wait every day for him to come. And we spoke about this a few weeks ago. We believe that the world is not, time is not eternal. Time has a beginning and an end. Time is linear. In other words, we as a people are working towards a mission. We're working towards a goal. That goal is the coming of Moshiach, the end of days. Um, we are working towards that goal and we believe it will come. We don't believe time will go on forever. If time will go on forever, what's the point of it all? What value does it all have, everything that we're doing? Just to get rewarded and punished or punished later? Is that the only value? So there's, we believe that there is great value in what we're doing. We're working towards an ultimate mission. We're working towards a goal. And that is we, what we call the coming of Moshiach. Number 13, I believe with complete faith that there will be resurrection of the dead at the time when it will be the will of the Creator, blessed be His name and exalted be His remembrance forever and ever. So God will, um, we recognize that, um, that God will bring all the dead back to life. We mentioned earlier, um, when we did it in a few weeks ago, when we did it in the class on this topic, that not only do we believe that time is linear and that we will reach an end goal when we reach that end goal everybody who worked towards that end goal will then get to experience it and that is the resurrection of the dead where everyone will actually get to experience it and ultimately at that time our world which currently does not naturally recognize God everyone in our world will recognize God so these last four beliefs can all be um, categorized as beliefs in um, the value of our actions the meaning behind our actions, that God's watching us, God responds, we're heading somewhere, we're going to experience the end. These are all about the value and meaning of our actions. So if we wanted to really cut it down, as Rabbi Yosef Albo says, he says, believe in God, in all the details that we mentioned, um, believe in the Torah, in all the details that we mentioned, and believe that our actions have value. So, to God. And all of these, so these are all our 13 basic beliefs that we Jews have believed throughout uh, that we Jews believe. These are the principles of our Jewish faith. As we mentioned at the beginning, faith is not everything. Faith, um, we need to also have action. We need to do as well. Belief is not good enough. But yet, um, but yet we need to have the beliefs too. And we need to be aware of these beliefs. And now hopefully we all are. We're all very familiar with them. You could take these pages home. I want to thank again um, Alec and Jody for sponsoring our breakfast this morning. And um, next week we are going to talk about halacha, who gets to decide the Jewish law? Yes.